It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, and welcome to episode 292 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Let me ask you this. Have you ever walked into a room expecting one thing and the situation has quickly deteriorated and led you to be really scared for your own safety when you've realised that people present could really hurt you? This is what we find in today's episode. But before we get to the story, as always, a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon, especially the new members of this community. That's Joe Welton. Clara Lind and Enma Watty. Thank you so much for joining our community. Okay, so no tears, but no adverts this week. So let's set some context for today's story with our guest a month and year game. It's an easy one this week. In the UK charts, the first names I could have a chance of pronouncing were at number four, and that was Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande with Rain On Me. In the US, it was Rockstar from Dabba Baby, featuring Roddy Rich. And in Australia, the top album was Lime Cordial, one of my favourite drinks in the summer, with 14 steps to a better you. In the news this month, more than 160 people died after a landslide at a jade mine in Burma. And we saw the sad death at 85 of Mighty Leeds United, a legend Jack Charlton, who played 760 times for the Premier Club in world football. In UK True Crime News, the National Crime Agency reported that a Europe-wide operation lasting over three months, which involved the interception of messages on EncroChat, has had the biggest impact on organised crime gangs it has ever seen. More than 800 arrests were reported, including major crime figures, with over two tonnes of drugs, several dozen guns and £54 million in suspect cash being seized. So did you guess the month and year? It was July 2020. Let's get on to today's story. The 25th of July 2020, it was just a normal Friday in England. Well, as normal as any day could be at that time, which, as you recall, was dominated by the uncertainty of COVID-19. At 4.40am, while many of us were dreaming of being in Rochdale, farmer Michael Irving was awake and ready for his day's work. But the day didn't quite go to plan. He lived in a pretty remote part of Cumbria, just south of Carlisle, which is about 120 miles north of Manchester. It was unusual when he heard a car on the gravel near his home, and as he looked out, he saw a black truck racing along the quiet road by his house towards his fields, which were located along the banks of the river Coldew. This was unusual in itself, it's a quiet area, he didn't normally see many people, especially at that time in the morning. But then he heard a noise. It was hard to put his finger on exactly what it was, but he had cattle in the fields and he was a bit concerned so he quickly dressed and headed out on his quad bike to investigate just what the truck was doing that early in the morning. 
The gate to the main field was open, and on closer inspection, he realised that the pinging noise he'd heard had been the chain on the gate being broken forcibly. His first concern was his cattle, but they all looked okay. So as he fed them, he looked around and he noticed tyre tracks across the field. These had to have been caused by the truck, surely. It was 5.23am when he reached the banks of the River Koldu, and there he saw a sight that would stay with him forever. It was the body of a young man floating face down. Unable to quite believe what had happened, Michael called 999. Cumbria police were quickly on the scene. Later that morning they made an appeal, saying that the victim's family had been informed and were being supported by family liaison officers. But they believed that the truck that Michael had heard that morning was a black Nissan Navara pickup truck and they urgently wanted to locate it. They asked members of the public not to approach the vehicle if sighted, but to contact the police immediately. The Assistant Chief Constable Andrew Slattery said, We are requesting the assistance of the public as part of our murder investigation into the death of Lee McKnight. The investigators need to hear from anyone, including friends and associates of Lee, who might have seen him or have information on his movements on the 23rd and 24th of July, particularly in the Fusehill Street area. And for most local people, as they carried on with their daily life on that Friday, that snippet in the local news was all they ever heard about this case. And they didn't give it a second thought. Why would they? But of course, for Lee McKnight's family and friends, this was utterly, utterly shocking and terrible news. And their lives would never be the same. So who was Lee McKnight? He was a much-loved son to his mum and dad, Wendy and David, a brother to Donna and Robbie, and a grandson, in addition to having a number of close friends and extended family. He was just 26 when he was killed. I'm going to start by quoting from Lee's mum, as she can tell us much more about who Lee really was. Lee didn't get to meet his five-month-old niece. Again, such a shame, especially as he had so much love to share with her. Lee always greeted you with his bouncy walk and sunshine smile. He was always polite and courteous and always had the time for a chat. He was thoughtful and never missed special occasions, including Father's and Mother's Days, birthdays and Christmases. When he was at school, Lee did well, and we never had any trouble getting him to attend and go every day. You may be thinking we're only saying good things about Lee because he was our son, but they're all true. When Lee was little, he had an obsession with lawnmowers, strimmers, and all kinds of garden machinery, and he couldn't wait for his dad to get home from work to see what grass needed cutting. If it was left to Lee, he would have cut grass every day, and he would often chat to neighbours about their mowers and their grass. We often spent Saturdays at Rickaby's Agricultural Suppliers looking at tractors and mowers. Family holidays were important to us. Even when money was tight with three children, we managed to get away every year, whether it be to a caravan or camping. These times were special and we made so many fantastic memories. One particular holiday sticks in mind when we drove to Southport to a campsite, only to find that there was a lawnmower museum next door. He was in his element 
and that really made his holidays special. Lee had a few jobs starting off with a paper round, assisted by his granddad, then working in a restaurant and various factories. The night we were told of Lee's death was one we wouldn't wish any parent to experience. It was the day before my birthday, and a few days later was Donna's birthday, and this would always dampen any birthday celebrations in the future. We actually found two unwritten birthday cards in Lee's room the next day, showing that he was so thoughtful and kind. It was up to detectives to discover how this much-loved man ended up being dumped in a river early on that July morning. His family were very open about the fact he'd gotten a bit of trouble with the police in his life, but he'd showed remorse and had been moving on. Indeed, during the first lockdown in March 2020, he seemed very healthy and happy, helping around the house and with gardening at home. But Lee had actually slipped into the world of low-level drug dealing, cannabis and cocaine, mainly to people he knew. But in this most ruthless of businesses, nothing comes for free, everything needs to be paid for, and we've heard on this podcast the extreme violence used when payment can't be provided. Drug dealing is all about hierarchies, and Lee owed £2,000 to the next level dealer up the chain, 26-year-old Jamie Davison. He was one of the ambitious dealers, looking to make a real name for himself, and he was known as Mr Carlyle, who turned over around half a million pounds annually at this time, and he wanted to grow to expand. And the £2,000 he was owed by Lee was a real problem for him, as he was in debt to his suppliers upstream. And he wasn't naive. He was fully aware of the potential ramifications of being unable to pay. The people the next level up from him that he bought from weren't messing about. And he was out there chasing the debts owed to him. Weeks before Lee was killed, a friend told how Davison and two people he didn't know, but he described as scary looking, had turned up at his home looking for Lee, armed with a spanner and a baseball bat. Another visitor came to the family home just weeks before Lee's death. When told that Lee was not at home, the man became angry and said that Lee was in big trouble. His parents had no idea why he owed money, and when they asked him who this person was, he said sorry, and that he was trying to pay off his debts with his wages. He worked at a local Premier Inn hotel, and was struggling to raise the money to pay the debt because of the lockdown. Lee didn't appear flustered by this, his mum said, but Lee was concerned enough to go to ground. Davidson knew how he thought he could get to Lee, and that was via his ex-girlfriend, wannabe model, 26-year-old Coral Edgar. The local newspaper, the News and Star, reported that she published portraits of herself on her Facebook page, along with many comments. In one, she described herself as just an average girl in a messed-up world. She lived with her mum, 47-year-old Carol Edgar. Now, Carol had a really bad addiction to a number of substances, including heroin and it had taken a massive toll on her body and life. When later asked by police about Lee, she confirmed he had been her cocaine dealer. She said, he was just a cocaine dealer to me. And when asked about his death, she said it was sad. He seemed an alright lad. He was very paranoid-like. I don't know if he owed money, but he was always very hood-up, covert and fast. Fast. 
The more detectives looked into it, they found that Carol and her daughter led a pretty rotten life. Coral had been addicted from a very young age and was spending £40 a day on cocaine and £20 on cannabis in their house that was really a crack den and used by Davison as he pleased. Her mum injected cocktails of hard drugs, heroin, valium, cocaine, pregabalin and ketamine. She also had alarming bouts of psychosis, according to her daughter, who said she'd pull veins from her legs, saying they were snakes. As you can hear, it was a miserable existence for them in the midst of such addiction. Using phone evidence, detectives discovered that Coral had invited Lee to the house with a promise of sex. The classic honey trap. And unfortunately for Lee, he had no reason not to trust Coral, and so at 2am he left for her house. Detectives uncovered the footage from a host of different CCTV cameras, capturing Lee in a taxi from his home just after 2.30am on the 24th of July. But as soon as he arrived at Coral's house, he immediately knew he'd been set up. Waiting for him were Davison, of course, not just on his own. He brought back up to ensure the situation went the way he wanted. Also in the house at Charles Street were 26-year-old Aaron Graham and Jamie Lee Roberts, then just 17. What happened next really is the stuff of nightmares. At that terraced house, he was beaten for almost two hours. Home office pathologist Dr Brian Rogers later described his injuries, saying there were no cut injuries on Lee, only blunt force lacerations, caused by being hit by a riding crop found near the body, as well as punches, kicks and stamps. On his head there were 36 injuries, of which 18 were significant wounds, consistent with the weapon having been the whip's hard handle. In addition, his skull was fractured, he suffered nine rib fractures, and there was evidence of defensive injuries to his left hand. The doctor said, This was obviously very, very severe. This was prolonged by any stretch of the imagination. It's a prolonged and sustained assault with a combination of a weapon, the crop or whip end of the crop, and the head of the crop, and a combination of blows such as punches, maybe slaps, stamps or kicks. I'd favour stamping or kicking type injuries more for the chest trauma, for the ribs, because the damage was so extensive. Neighbours reported witnessing kicking, punching, stamping, the sound of a horsewhip, and screams coming from the house above the loud music. 51-year-old Paul Roberts was the dad of one of the hired thugs, 17-year-old Jamie Roberts. Like Carol Edgar, his history was full of offending due to his drug habit, and he told detectives that when he received a tearful phone call from his son, he headed to Charles Street to give him fresh clothes before destroying the bloodstained ones he'd been wearing. Okay, so Paul Roberts isn't the most reliable witness in the world, but what he says maybe has the ring of truth about it. It's hard to know, of course, as unsurprisingly, when all of those who were responsible knew the police were onto them, they all blamed each other. Anyway, Paul Roberts said that at Charles Street, he shouted through the letterbox and was let in where he saw a lad on the floor. There was a lot of blood, he said, and Carol Edgar was cuddling her daughter Coral who was in a proper state. 
Carol asked him to check on Lee. He said, I cleared his airway. I remember telling them they needed to get this lad an ambulance. But Mr Carlyle himself, Jamie Davison, told him an ambulance wasn't getting phoned. At this stage, Lee was very badly injured, but he was still alive. Robert said he watched the thugs carry Lee through the house towards a black Nissan Navara, which was owned by Carol Edgar, which he thought was going to take Lee to hospital. They must have got him all the way outside, he said. I remember seeing Jamie Davison in the back seat with Lee. As the men left, Carol and Coral Edgar did their best to clean the scene of the crime, but they did a terrible job when detectives came around and the forensic experts. There was lots of evidence of just what had happened. What happened next to Lee is hard to comprehend. You'd think that at least one of the people involved would regain their humanity, but no. Lee was barely alive, but he was still breathing. But rather than take him to get urgent medical care, he was rolled in a curtain, put into the truck, and dragged across Michael Irving's fields to the river, where he was dumped like a piece of rubbish. Unable to swim or help himself in any way, Lee's life ended in that river. The cause of death was drowning. The trial was a terrible affair for the family. The six defendants showed no respect for the legal process, treating it all as a big joke on some occasions. On one occasion before the main trial, they appeared on a Crown Court video link. Aaron Graham was laughing and sniggering, as was Roberts Jr. at the Young Offenders Institution where he was. Mr Carlyle himself, Davison, vaped in his video booth, seemingly without a care in the world with his feet on the table. The prosecutor became so exasperated by their behaviour, he asked the court listing officer, will you even mute the defendants or tell them that their behaviour in a courtroom is unacceptable, please? Of course they took no notice. At the trial, the prosecution QC was Tim Cray, who explained, drug dealing is a violent business. Dealers cannot exactly go to the police or the courts to resolve money disputes. Such disputes are overwhelmingly likely to end in violence when somebody refuses to pay up. He talked about the scene of the beating, which probably happened whilst Lee was tied to a chair. Think about what must have been going on, he told the jury. Nobody at this point thought, he's still alive so we'll get help, we'll dial 999, or even, we'll just take him up to the hospital and dump him outside. Nobody does anything like that. There was plenty of time to do that if anybody had cared at all for Lee, but none of them did a decent thing. We say that's further evidence that they were all prepared to do Lee serious harm. The so-called honeypot, Coral said she saw just one punch, but then crawled up into a ball with her head in her hands, unable to watch. Her mum, Carol, her house, denied giving responsibility for her truck to be used to take Lee away. She confirmed that she owned a horse, and when asked if the riding crop using the tack was hers, she said, yes, I brought it from the sex shop, but it was for the horse. When asked if she had lent her truck to the killers, she responded, I swear to God I haven't. I wouldn't dare. I don't know. I haven't killed anybody before. I don't know how long it takes. I don't jump into trucks and go dumping bodies in rivers without knowing what I'm doing. 
if that's what you mean. After a seven-week trial, the jury took 27 hours to find all the defendants guilty. The judge jailed five of the six for life, with the minimum terms ranging from 13 to 30 years. J.B. Davison, 26, life, with a minimum term of 30 years. Aaron Graham, 26, life, with a minimum term of 26 years. Paul Roberts, 51, life, with a minimum term of 20 and a half years. Jamie Lee Roberts, 18, detention at Her Majesty's pleasure, with a minimum term of 16 and a half years. Cole Edgar, 26, life, with a minimum term of 13 and a half years. And Carol Edgar, 47, life, with a minimum term of 13 years. Lee's mum spoke after the verdicts. We are a close family and thoroughly enjoyed the times we had together. From his simple tastes at Christmas to his fun-loving and carefree attitude. Whatever Lee may have done, nobody deserves to go in such a vile, violent and tragic manner. It's hard to believe that he was brutally beaten to an inch of his life and then dumped face down in the river alone. The only comfort we have is he didn't die in that awful house on Charles Street. It continually goes through our minds about his last steps over the doorway into that awful house and knowing what was in store for him. The trap and the violence he was about to experience in that torture chamber. We can almost feel the kicks and punches getting thrown from all angles, then the hard blows smashing into his skull and face, then the whip head thrashing, cutting his skin. Whatever other weapons were used, we will never know. We can't imagine the pain and suffering Lee went through alone in the hours before his death, and why anyone would stand over a lifeless body and fail to call for medical help. Then there are the selfish acts that those offenders did to get rid of the body, in an attempt to minimise their involvement. Knowing that Lee was on his own and seriously injured, with no one to look after him for a period of time, and him being manhandled like a lump of meat, upsets me every time I think about it. We wish we could have been there to protect Lee and his parents, even sort out the problems he was having, but that opportunity wasn't ever an option. So what do you make of what you've heard today? Lee was a drug dealer, and known the misery that that causes to others, I appreciate that you may have little sympathy for what happened to him. If you live that life, violence is never far away, we've had it so many times before. But is there the argument that like so many others before him, Lee fell into this life to initially make a little money and then just got in too deep and couldn't get out. Like we said at the very beginning, everything in the drugs business has to be paid for. Even if you think it's free at the time, there is always a price to pay. And unfortunately, in the courts, we often see young men in a similar position now getting sentences, which take so much of their youth away from them. But I think that whatever he did, nobody deserves the death that Lee suffered. He must have been absolutely terrified from that moment he walked into the house on Charles Street through to when he lost consciousness. Can you actually imagine the sheer terror? Did he expect that at some point they'd let him go and it would just be a warning to him? I can't comprehend how his family and friends must feel when they think of the suffering he went through alone 
without anybody to show him any human decency. And as for those responsible, whilst for the four men, I couldn't give them a second thought, and anyone that can act that way needs to stay in prison for a very long time. But I would suggest it's hard not to have some sympathy for Carol and Coral Edgar. Hopelessly addicted to drugs, used by dealers, and their lives now ruined further. What a depressing story all round for us to listen to. But of course our final thoughts are with the family of Lee, who are still living this nightmare every hour of every day and will do for the rest of their lives. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please just head to the Facebook group where over 80,000 of us talk true crime 24-7. Unlike the Kings of Leon, it's never boring. And to support the show, please join my community at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. It's the place to be for bonus episodes, a new one came out this week, and other exclusive content, competitions, other news, and inside stories including the chance to bag a free signed copy of my book about serial killer Angus Sinclair if you join on an annual package from as little as £17 a year. You can join for $2 a month. Just head along to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. You know it makes sense. So that's all from me for another week. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this episode and please join me again on Tuesday for another story from the UK's 36th, I'm sorry, 37th most popular UK true crime podcast, We Can But Dream. So on that bombshell, until next week, despite all the others, please I understand, it is the others, please do stay classy. Cheerio for now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.